Well, my name is Jose. We're going to go right into uh, reading the scriptures this morning. So if you do need a Bible, um, if you have one, we're in Romans. You know that if you've been here for a while, we're in Romans too. If you need a Bible, just, would you mind just slipping up your hand? We're not here to put anyone on the spot. We bought a bunch. We hand them out every week. So just keep your hand in the air. Someone will get a copy too. If not, go to your app. Go to your actual text. If you get a Bible because someone gives you one, and you want to keep it, that would be fantastic. But uh, we want it to be a gift to you. If not, let's just, uh, let's just go into Romans 2. Before we do that, the one thing that we want you to be reminded of today is Christmas is coming two weeks from today. And so if you haven't seen it yet, we've been, we've been sharing it online. Uh, we're doing one Christmas Eve gathering. So the 24th, 6 o'clock, right here, packed house. And you're going to love every minute of it. It's like, to me, the highlight of the year. So we don't do any Christmas gatherings on Christmas Day, though. Sunday, the 25th, we feel like your pajamas and, and like wrapping paper is the order of the day. All right? So, so no gatherings the 25th. Our weekend gathering will be the 24th at 6 o'clock. All right. You have your Bible. I have mine. We're going to read from Romans uh, 2. And we're going to read half the chapter And we'll read the second half next week. Verse 1. You, therefore, I'll stop. If you missed last week, catch the podcast because everything we're about to read is an extension of what I said last week because there are no chapters and verses in the text itself. They were added like more than a thousand years after the Bible was given to us to help brothers and sisters know where they are in the Bible. But there are no chapters and verses. When Paul Paul writes, he doesn't say chapter 2. He just says everything we talked about last week. And then now in light of that, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, and then it qualifies you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them. Who's them? Those who don't have the same worldview. Those who don't practice the same forms of sexuality. Those who we would say are not living in alignment with God's vision for the world. So when you being a mere human pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up Wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress 
for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who are declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the requirement of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now, that was so thick, and I said the word law like 85 times, that <laughs> it's hard to get around. Like, how do you even start to unpack something that has so many lines of thought? Well, here's the plan. This is our Christmas series, Romans 2. Because in order to get the most, in order to grow in appreciation for Christmas, what we want to do over this week and next week, it's one long, one big thought. I'm going to talk around what we just read and then pick up on it next week and tie in what we just read. And hopefully you will see Christmas as the most beautiful gift of God based on what we just read this week and what we'll read next week. That is the Christmas series. And then we'll do our gathering on Saturday night, the 24th. Okay, so how do we know where this whole line of thought is going? I want us to read verse 16 again, okay? And if you didn't have it up, maybe we'll throw it on the screen just to help you out. This, whatever this is, will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. God is judging secrets through Jesus. Doesn't this sound like, like your naughty or nice list? You know, like, because he's just giving us all this stuff, like, Okay, and in the end, God's going to judge through Jesus whatever's on your list. Is that, like, really going to happen? All right, in order to get what Paul is saying, we're going to step back, spend most of our time on where Paul is going in his thoughts, and then some of this will make sense. The rest of it will be a cliffhanger to next Sunday because cliffhangers and caffeine will get you back. All right. Three thoughts. First thing Paul is thinking about is God's judgment. God's judgment when God judges people's secrets. Now, when I think of judgment, my, my brain immediately goes to punishment, right? When God punishes or my parents would punish me. But Paul has a much bigger view of the word. Remember, Paul sees Jesus through the lenses of, of God's worldview as revealed in Scripture. Paul is an expert in the Bible. So he sees everything before Jesus that God has said and done. And then Jesus illuminates, like highlights, doesn't, doesn't throw away. 
actually fulfills everything God had been saying. The Bible is one long story of God. So when Paul says God's judging, he has something very specific in mind that's very different than maybe your view of what judgment is. So we can't go through all the Old Testament this morning. I'm just going to summarize. You've got to trust me on this. Judgment, in Paul's thinking, is defined best as God setting things to rights. And that's not a misspelling. Not setting things to right. Setting things, plural, to rights. That is, the world is gone off. God creates a perfect place, Genesis 1 and 2. He takes men and women and says, okay, together I want you to take everything I've put in you. You're made in my image. Take the raw material of what I've made. Make something beautiful. It's like taking someone with the innate ability to create art and giving them all the tools and the canvas and say, go for it. I want you to take it. It's all mine. The canvas is mine. The watercolors are mine. The whole planet's mine. But I want to see what you do with what I've given you. And Adam and Eve, by Genesis 3 into Genesis 4, and their family after them, we all end up doing our own thing. And we, hear this, we mess up God's perfect world. Paul's mind, mindset when it comes to judgment isn't punish, punish, punish. Like, you're going to get 30 years, you're going to get 50 years, you're going to get 1,000 years of punishment. When he's thinking judgment, he's thinking reorder. The world has gone off and God is going to make it right. We're out of sync. So the message of the good news in Jesus, hear this, is God's judgment. But I say judgment, you mean like, well, God punishing people. Now, there is punishment involved. We'll get to that a little later. When God judges through Jesus our secrets, he's not looking where to squash us. He's actually exposing everything that's wrong and he says, I'm going to make it right. God's judgment is him putting it back to the way it was intended to be. So the message of good news is good news because everyone is out of order. Would you agree? We're all, we're all off. Now you're off maybe an inch. You're that close to God. You're just an inch away. Or maybe a mile. Or maybe a planetoid. Maybe a solar system. God's judgment is him saying, aha, I'm going to get you back in the right. My point is judgment is a beautiful thing. God's judgment. Now, our judgment is skewed. God's judgment is beautiful because you ever, um, I'm not a guitarist, I'm a drummer, but so tuning drums is slightly different, but you just ever hear someone play the guitar and five of the six strings are in tune and one is just like, you know, one string is just off. And I'm like, fix it. Just get your hand off of it. Do a little, no, 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 no. You know, there, there are free apps. Fix. Because when one, when one string is out of tune, the whole note sounds wrong. God's judgment is putting the world back in tune. And if you think the world's beautiful now, and I think the world is beautiful now, wait till God tunes it to the way it was supposed to be. Second thought. So first is God's judgment. Second thought that Paul is, it's going in his head, is the day of the Lord. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, congratulations. If you've read the whole thing. Because 
It's so ancient that we get lost. So if you've ever trailed off halfway through reading the Old Testament, join the human race. We all have. But if you've ever made it through or just do a word search, go to a Bible software or a Bible gateway and type in the phrase, Day of the Lord. You're going to get a ton of hits because the day of the Lord is something that God had revealed to his people throughout time. And the prophets, the messengers, remind Israel over thousands of years, don't forget the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh. Yahweh is his name. Whenever you see L-O-R-D in caps in Hebrew, that is Yahweh. So it's not just like Lord is a nice person. It's in God who created the day of the Lord. I'm going to throw up just a few that are sampling. Isaiah speaks about the day of the Lord probably more than anybody. 13.9, see the day of Yahweh is coming. A cruel day. Okay, that's everything opposite of what I just said. Let me explain. We'll read to the end. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Merry Christmas. All right. We'll go to Jeremiah. It gets better. 46.10. But the day that belongs to the Lord, the Lord Almighty, a day of vengeance. Okay, that's exciting. For vengeance on his foes. Day of the Lord, sinners. Day of the Lord, foes or enemies. Amos uh, 5.18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness. Not light. Okay, now why the, why the negative images? Unfortunately, we're not there when they're speaking truth from God. So we're reading it at a distance, and we don't recognize who they're writing to. The day of the Lord is a two-sided coin. On one side, it's beautiful. On the opposite side of the same coin, it's not so beautiful. Just like the moon Part of it is reflected back to us where the sun is hitting it. But there's the dark side of the moon. It's the same moon. And on that side, it is, it is without light. I, uh, t to illustrate this, in high school, my senior year, I got a job at Blockbuster Video. I'm going old school, right? The phrase on the door, be kind, rewind. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, how, do I, how do I rewind iTunes? I don't know. Netflix, I don't get it. Okay, so Blockbuster Video was a store that had cassette tapes. And so part of my job was putting them in the rewinder. And then you would have to re, this is, this is great, reshelf them. The tapes were on shelves. Humans would walk down aisles. You would grab a tape. You'd bring it up. Right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So... Well, they were doing uh, renovations in part of the store. There was a leak in the roof. And so it was during hours. I was reshelving tapes. And they had lowered. Uh, some, some of the ductwork fell. When they had removed part of the roof, some of the ductwork fell. I didn't see it. Construction crew was working on it. So I went to another aisle to bring a tape. And I hit the corner of the duct. And it sliced my head. And then I go up, bleeding. I had to go to the hospital, stitches, missed work for a bit. And then, you know, went back to work. But um, I had bills to pay and I missed some work. And so I found a lawyer. 
who helped me say like, you know what? You missed some work and you shouldn't have to pay those. Your parents shouldn't have to pay that medical bill. They should cover it. And so they set a court date. I wasn't looking to cash out on Blockbuster Video, but I did want these bills paid. And so we went to a very small claims court scenario. And the judge, who wasn't in, in a robe or a tie, it was a very relaxed scenario. I just wanted the bills paid. And so he heard my side of the story, and then he heard the construction company's side of the story, and it took him two minutes. And he said, let me see this guy. Come over here. He took a ruler out and to see how long it was. Because <laughs> evidently, they pay out per inch. <laughs> it's a true story. And so um, in the end, he, he judged in my favor. It was the day of the judge's judgment. Now for me, it was a good day. My bills were paid. What was wrong against me, not in an evil way, but what was wrong against I, I, I deserved a safe environment to work. I didn't ask for the duck to fall. I didn't ask for them to not rope off that section and keep us, like, I wasn't at fault. And the construction company wasn't evil, but they were wrong, right? And so, now they didn't pay a dime. Their insurance, I'm sure, paid it out. And I didn't get a ton. But it was a day of judgment. For me, it was a beautiful day. For them, it was not so good a day. Do you see what I'm saying? The day of the Lord will be a wonderful, horrible day. So when the prophets talk about the day of the Lord, who are they writing to? You seem to know this. When Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah are talking about, don't look, Amos says, don't look for the day of the Lord. Are you guys crazy? Because he's speaking and they are speaking to people who are not repenting, not coming back to God, not looking for God's leadership. And unfortunately, what will be a good day when God puts the world back right, everything wrong is now right, will also be a tough day if you're resisting God. Judgment day, day of the Lord, two-sided coin, beautiful. Or if you're an enemy of God, that is, you don't believe he's there, you don't think he deserves to, to lead, you don't think he knows what's right. You don't think his way is the best way. If you don't care for his view of the world, the day of the Lord will not be a beautiful day for you. Third concept. So judgment is in his mind. Putting the world to rights. Putting everything back the way it was intended to be. Day of the Lord is the day. So how, how is God going to make everything wrong right? He's not going to do it in drips and drabs. One day... He will make everything right. That doesn't mean he's not working. Doesn't mean he's not making some things right now. We'll get into that next week. Third concept, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes the gospels don't go aha to us because we haven't read the Bible well enough. Jesus says, he says in John 6.40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus says the day of God's judgment, the day of the Lord, is His day. 
This is, this is why Paul ends up becoming a Jesus follower when he starts to read the Bible after encountering Jesus. He realizes, oh my goodness, Jesus wasn't throwing out what God was doing. Jesus was fulfilling what God was doing. So now Jesus says, whoever looks to the Son, me, and believes in me, the Lord will have life. The day of the Lord is the day of life. It's the day when God makes things the way they were supposed to be, and then life from then on is done his way. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more evil, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering. When God remakes the world, evil will be removed completely. Just read Revelation. Revelation is pointing to the day of the Lord. Now, in light of what Jesus taught, the New Testament writers pick up on this and begin to speak to the church. The church was made up in the early days of many people who were from the Jewish tradition. They knew the Bible. They knew judgment. They knew day of the Lord. And so Paul writes with that in mind. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Again, I said we're going to get to these verses that we read earlier a little bit today. Next week, one long argument. I'll, I'll go more detail. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. He will always keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not any old day. That's the future day. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So listen to the implications. God is going to keep you firm. Because some of you are like, okay, Jose, day of the Lord, if you're on God's side, is good. Day of the Lord, if you're not on God's side, is bad. I'm kind of like both. And if you don't think you're both, you're not being honest. I love Jesus, but I do this stuff. I'm, I, I, my heart is for God, but I also have these other appetites. And I kind of go that way too. So on the day of the Lord, like, do I have to be, is one of those before taking the flight if you're afraid to fly? Lord, I, I repent of everything in case, in, in case the plane goes down. Like, I want to be on God's good side when I hit, like, the end of life. Because if I have one wrong thing in my life, it's over for me. Day of the Lord, judgment, punishment. Wrong. Absolutely logical and flawed. 1 Corinthians 1 says, God is faithful who has called you. Who is going to keep you for the day of the Lord? You? Good luck. The good news is that when I believe, when I trust Jesus as judge, that is, he knows my wrong and he can make it right. He knows my brokenness and he can put me back together. He knows my shame and he could remove my guilt and, and retune the strings so that I can play and live as God intended. If I, if I trust Jesus, do that for me. God will keep you to the end. That's my hope. I am not hoping in me. I am hoping in God. So the day of the Lord is a day when God's people receive the reward of being led by God, transformed by God. Not that we're perfect in our behavior, but that we have been made perfect 
by God. The day of the Lord. So I'm not, I don't want to confuse you. That's why Paul later on will say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What's the new? Because I look the same. I kind of act the same. What's different? That judgment, that future judgment, in one sense, a part of that being made new, it's going to happen on the day of the Lord at the end of all creation, but a little taste of it has happened in you. You are not the same. You have been changed, and you've been brought into God's family, and when I am not faithful, God is faithful. This is good news. Not that if my good outweighs my bad, maybe God, maybe God will give me glory. But more than likely, he's going to smash me. That is the worldview of Islam. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm reading the Quran correctly. An Islamic worldview is if you are not more in the right than in the wrong, that you will receive the righteous judge's reward, which is damnation. And so no wonder you're scared to death about how you live your life. And you better make it to prayer, and you better, and you better, and you better, and you better. And I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just contrasting worldviews. And I'm saying that the good news of the gospel is that God is faithful even when I am not. Now, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10. He will punish those who do not know God. That is, they are not in relationship with him. Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying those who mess up, those who sin, those who fail. He's saying those who totally reject the gospel will be judged. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you. Because some of you are like, looking at the list like, what? This includes who? You. He's writing to the church. I'm assuming it's on the screen. Okay. Some of you are looking at me like, it's having a, a moment of self-doubt. This includes you because you believed what? Our testimony to you. You believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. You are going to stand as God's holy people. When God comes to judge the world, you're thinking punish. When God comes to set the world right, setting the world right includes removing what is wrong. And if, if you're rebellious to God in that you don't want him, you don't want Jesus. You don't want the good news. I can make it. I will get there. I, I don't need you to tell me what to believe. You put your thumb up at God. Good luck on the day of the Lord. But if you're a follower of Jesus and yet you struggle with sin, <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have it all together, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not yet what you want to be, you are his holy people whether you feel like it or not. You're his holy people. Be like, well, I don't feel holy. Well, your feelings are skewed. You have been made holy because Jesus is holy and you are covered by him. 
That, my friends, is the good news. That is why Christmas is beautiful. Not because if I'm a better person, Jesus, little baby Jesus is going to love me. No. It's because Jesus humbled himself to become what we are, human, so that he can set humanity to rights. Because he's human, he knows our suffering, he knows our tendencies, he knows our wickedness, he knows our rebellion, but Jesus radically does what is right always. And because I am in him, I am in the right. Now, all that was just background. The question is, what about life right now? Okay, so this is where this text comes in. What about life right now? What do we do with this broken world? What do we do with the brokenness in people? What do I do with my own sin tendencies? What do I do with the culture that's rejecting Jesus? Now let's go back. Go back to the end of chapter 1, verse 29. The end of chapter 1, verse 29. I want to read the list that we read last week. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, which is like right next to each other, which is so funny. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. So Paul was saying last week that a worldview in terms of human sexuality, male, female, all of that is just one example of our own rebellion. There are lots of examples. In light of all the brokenness in the world, how do we respond? Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment. We don't judge. Or we shouldn't. We should not be judgmental. I just want to get one point across today, and then we're going to look at all of chapter 2 in the big picture next week. We don't judge. We don't judge God-haters. We don't judge those who have a different way of seeing the world. We don't judge those who don't follow Jesus. We don't judge those who, who push away and, and rebel against any authority, whether it's parents or government or anything. We're not the ones pointing the finger and saying, see, we're right and you're wrong. The reason we don't pass judgment, why, why does passing judgment never make sense? Because you who pass judgment on someone else, verse 1, at whatever point you judge another, you're only condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. So what is he saying? We shouldn't judge because our standards are off. The problem with pointing the finger at someone else is you're assuming your standard of right and wrong is right. Now, you say, well, Jose, I know what's right. Okay, that's one thing. Do you do what's right? It's one thing to say, I know God says don't do that. Okay, so you don't do this one thing, but did you see how big the, the list was? So you're not full of lust, but you have pride because you think you're better than everyone else. We've got to be careful pointing the finger because those who point the finger at other people's sin issues are blind to their own standards of judgment. But what we know, verse 2, we know God's judgment against those who do such things is based on what? 
truth. God is always right. We are not. Remember we said all of Romans 1, verse 18, all the way through 320 is one idea. God is always right. We are not. Sometimes we're right. Often we're skewed. And so he's just saying it makes no sense. God's standard are always right. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Verse 4, forbearance and patience, not realizing. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's the problem. We want judgment now, don't we? We want God to judge now. Do you realize when you take a step back for a moment what that means? The moment I want God to judge you now, God's judgment is based on truth. The day of the Lord comes to everybody. Congratulations. When God judges that person, he first brings judgment to you. Ouch. Which is why multiple times Paul uses a phrase, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I want you to catch this twist. Paul is full of sarcasm. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from first to last, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jesus came first to the Jew, then to the non-Jew. Why? Because Abraham believed God. That will be, Genesis, uh, that'll be Romans 4. We'll get to that in a bit. Abram believed God, so the good news comes to the Jew first, then it comes to everybody. But now the Jews were saying, yeah, we're in the right, and all these non-Jews are, are wrong. And you know what Paul says? Judgment day is first coming to the Jew. If you think you are right with God because you keep the Torah, because you keep God's word, by the way, you don't. So the good news comes to you first, but guess what? Judgment day comes to you first too. Congratulations. First in line. Now first in line for $100 is a good thing. First in line for an acid bath is another story. And so what I'm saying, now I'm not saying God's given an acid bath to anyone. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> Note to self, skip acid bath. <laughs> you get my point. You get my point. He says first to the Jew, good news. First to the Jew, bad news. If you want, if you're pointing the finger at somebody else, then judgment comes to you first. So Verse 5 is key to the whole argument of the whole chapter. Don't you realize? You say, well, why doesn't God, why does God allow all the suffering and evil in this world? In humility, can I throw a suggestion based on Romans 2? Because if God judged the world today, it's over for everybody. So it's God's patience, forbearance. It's his love for people who are far from him, that he withholds the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a good day for those who are in Jesus. The day of the Lord is a terrible day for those who are not in Jesus. So the day of the Lord is being held off. That's love. There are people you know that are not yet on God's side, and you know them. Does it mean they're evil? Well, we're all, we're all broken by our own sin. Does it mean that they're not worth rescuing? God's love is so big, he wants everyone to come into his big global family. And so he sees a few people who are close, and he holds off the day of the Lord. 
wanting for them to come in as well. Don't mistake God showing his judgment as God being weak, limp, or unconcerned. It's his patience and kindness that holds it off. By the way, Roman and Greek philosophy in Paul's day had no final day of judgment. Paul gets his view of the world from the Bible. The day of the Lord, the day where God equalizes everything and reshifts the deck and puts it in the right is a biblical concept that was not found in the culture of his day. Which is a side note. It's why if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to immerse your mind in what's right. Because there's all sorts of conflicting ideas. And other worldviews will have other views of how the world ends and what that means. For some worldviews, when it's over, it's over. Material in the ground, gone. The memory of your existence is alive in the lives of others, but 100 years from now, if you didn't do anything big, you just don't exist. That's another worldview. Some other worldviews say, in, in the end, it's all just going to shake out good. It's all like, so who cares what you do? Because in the end, love wins. Sort of. Love does win when those who have believed the gospel and received grace join the family of God and live forever as the family of God. But it's a two-sided coin. Those outside don't enjoy God and the presence of God. Which is, which is why verse 6 makes sense. God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence of doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he's going to give eternal life. Those who are seeking, those who are self-seeking, reject the truth, follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. It's going to be a day where everything's exposed. But you say, Jose, he said according to what you have done. So if, if I don't do everything that's right, no, 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 no. Catch this. You read one verse outside of the whole of Romans, you'll make something that's not there. We are saved by faith. He makes this argument over and over again. We're saved by faith in Jesus, but how we live is the evidence that we have faith that saves. So what Paul is saying, in light of the day of the Lord, church, because he's writing to the church, in, in light of the day of God's coming, it is, it is faith in Jesus that rescues you. But your life says something. And your life ought to be saying, I have experienced God's saving power. The way that you live does matter. So 2 Corinthians 5, 6-10. Therefore, we are always confident and know as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So as long as we're here, we're not with Jesus fully. For we live by faith not by sight. And we're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Paul's like, man, I'd rather be with Jesus. I'd rather have the day of the Lord now. But, verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, let's just wrap this up. I didn't cover a lot of this because it's going to continue when we read verse 18 next, or verse 17 next week. 
why future judgment matters. Paul's looking ahead. The day of the Lord is coming. What does that mean? Two things. For those who have yet to believe, there is still hope. It's why we preach the gospel. There's still time. If God gave us what we deserve right now, we'd all be over. Verse 4, the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. The reason we are so passionate about evangelism, church planting, about sharing the gospel week in and week out, about baptisms once a month, we want everyone, because the time is now, while you can hear, while you can see, while you can think, follow Jesus now. Why now? Because there is a day coming. And by the way, your final day here is your final day to choose. So as long as you can trust in Jesus, trust him now. Because there will come a day when your life is over and you cannot believe. This is, this is your season to follow Jesus Secondly, for those already following Jesus, the implication is we should treat everyone with grace and mercy. We shouldn't be pointing the finger at people because we've been treated with mercy. Now, why should I expect someone who's not following Jesus to live as though they were following Jesus? Here's the problem with being a follower of Jesus and being judgmental. It makes no sense, logically. If you're not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, how in the world can you live the way of Jesus? If you're not yet even believing that Jesus is who he says he is, why would you treat human sexuality and your view of the world the same way I do? Your worldview shapes everything. If, if your worldview is not centered on Jesus as God's son, why in the world would you live like a Christian? As a matter of fact, if you're not yet a Christian, to live like one is foolish. It's restrictive. It makes no sense. Party on. But for those of us who know him, we realize, man, I make it my goal to please him. Those of us who are already following, we want to please the Lord because he set me free. And when I've received grace, I just want to live up to what God thinks of me, right? Not that being perfect or getting it right all the time is going to make me right with God. But when God invites me into his family, I want to like respect the furniture. I want, I want to enjoy his house, but I don't want to treat him like a slave driver or a fool. I want to honor the one who's invited me home. And so I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. I will raise them up on that day. If you feel like you're far from God this morning, you're actually not. Because Jesus stepped on the planet. This is why Christmas in light of Romans 2 is so good. Jesus steps on the planet so that you can know Him walk with him. It's not that you have to find God. God is on a hunt for you. So when you perceive that someone's coming to you with love, what's the best thing to do? Stop hiding. Stop hiding. 
and say, I'm here. God says to Adam and Eve when they ran away and they said, where are you? As if he doesn't know they're behind the bush. But you see what God does? Where are you? We're here. Why are you hiding? God's not afraid of us. And he's not pushing us away. He's drawing us close today. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Now, if you're already following him, what do you do? Now, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the evil that's still warring against all that is God's. Judgmentalism, pride, hatred, all of those things, they don't have any place in the life of a Jesus follower because we've been given love and grace and peace and mercy and kindness. So that stuff doesn't have to win. You can let it win, but it doesn't have to. So we want to now collectively invite the Holy Spirit. This is our moment to respond. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus, in this moment, say, Jesus, I know my own brokenness and sin and rebellion. I'm not hiding it. Here I am. Here's all of it. I want to be set free. Do it now. Just ask him now. And if you're already following him, but you're allowing that other worldview to compete with God, that other way of living to compete with God, then also invite the Holy Spirit to say, I don't want to I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that lady. I want to, I want to represent Jesus because he's made me holy. You already are holy. Now we get to live up to the standard that God's already placed on our lives. Why don't you stand on your feet if you would? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit of God in our response We're not going to check out. We're not going to move on to the next thing. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to now search our hearts. If you're not yet following Jesus, invite him in. If you are, invite him in. (laughs) We all need him. Holy Spirit of God, we recognize that Jesus sent you to search our hearts, even the deepest place. Nothing is hidden from your sight. So find anything in us, Holy Spirit. We're asking you to find it, pinpoint it, bring it to our mind, to our heart, to our thoughts, so that we can confess it and watch your power remove its grip over our thinking and our living. We want to follow you, Jesus. And so we invite you to come and do that now.